Welcome to episode two of Streams and Variations, the podcast where writing evolves. In this show, you will first hear a song based on a prompt. That song is then passed on to a writer who has written a monologue inspired by the song. That monologue is then passed on to a composer who writes a song based on the monologue, then on to another writer, and so on. Like a game of broken telephone, each writer has only seen the work that immediately precedes their own. What elements of each piece will continue to the next? What recurring themes will we see? What transformations will arise from the mind of each new artist? Let's find out. My name is Jamie Johnson, and I'll be your host, and now I'm going to strain a metaphor for you. For many, writing is a gardening of the mind. You sow it with images, ideas, emotions, and let them sit in the soil of your own thoughts. Let them grow until they become cohesive, until they begin to ripen. You harvest these elements and order them, cook them, and lay them out, a banquet for others to enjoy. And that's what we've asked the writers in this stream to do. For this, our second stream, we've brought together the talents of six writers. All of these writers were placed on very strict deadlines. Each piece you will hear was written over the course of one week. Each piece was directly inspired by the previous piece and will itself directly inspire the following piece. Listen closely and pay attention to the images. See what thoughts are present and repeated, what ideas fade away, then show up again. See how the story evolves. We will also be releasing talkbacks for each episode as part of this season. These talkbacks will include discussions between myself and other artists where we will dive deeper into the writing process and how each piece was perceived. What elements can be seen in each piece from the episode? What elements did each artist consciously carry forward? What subconsciously was carried through? Each full episode and talkback will be available through this podcast, so please subscribe through your preferred service. And if you like what you hear, maybe give us a five-star review so we can make more stories based on songs based on stories. This episode contains monologues written by Barb Scheffler, David Healy, and Roxanne Norman. These monologues are performed by Vicki Jenkins, Ian McGarrett, and Cass Van Wyck. And it contains songs written and performed by Zuby Eros, Eric Bleach, and Sean Clark. So sit back, listen intently, and let these artists carry you through its streams and its variations. Song One, Garden, written and performed by Zuby Eros.
Monologue 1, The Guardian, written by Barb Scheffler, read by Vicki Jenkins. Hey, Freddy, you're a good little frog, ain't ya? Yeah, just look at those flowers, hey? Look at them. They're doing so great. I was worried. You saw how big a hole I had to dig. I thought maybe I wrecked it all, but the flowers are doing great. The garden looks beautiful. I'm so glad. Just feel that sun, hey? Can you hear the birds? Gee, it's so nice out here. I just love it, sitting right here in this spot. The sun is shining and everything is okay. Everything is all right. This has always been my favorite place. But I gotta go, Freddy. I gotta go. I'd take you with me, but you're too heavy. I mean, you're concrete or something. That's pretty heavy. I mean, moving you around is one thing, but you know I can't pick you up and carry you. And I don't really know where I'm going, so it's probably better for you to stay here. I'll miss you, though. I think I'm going to miss the diner, too. I know, right? That place is the worst. Did I ever tell you about the homeless lady who peed all over the booth? Had to be in my section, didn't it? (laughs) That's what happens when you're on the night shift. You get all the crazies. Henny actually offered to switch me to days at one point. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't tell Roy. He would have told me to take it. But I didn't want to work days. Did I tell you about when that bachelor party came in? They were so drunk. They kept handing me bills all night like I was a dancer or something. (laughs) They were pretty nice, though. I mean, right up until that one guy threw up. Jeez, what a mess. But I made a lot of money that night, so that was okay. And sometimes it was nice and slow. I really liked the quiet times. Henny would say, go ahead and sit down, but I would stand at the back and polish the glasses. I like getting them all shiny and clear. I would pretend they were fancy crystal or something. Sometimes I would take a toothpick and clean the gunk out of the little groove between the metal rim and the counter. Honestly, I could do that for hours. I just like making the world a little prettier, you know? Anyway, I just wanted to explain how things happened. I know you saw a lot. You were the guardian of the coffee can after all. But there's stuff you don't know. It all started that night the bachelor party came in. I was late getting home. I had to stay and clean the puke, you know. But Roy was already pissed when I got in. When I handed him my tips, he didn't believe me that that was all of it. He started right in on me, wanting to know where I was hiding it. He ripped my top trying to see if I stuck it in my bra, and that got me really upset. We have to pay for our uniforms out of our own money, you know? Finally, he took off. I just lay on the floor until I heard his piece of shit truck drive off. 
That motor was so loud you could hear it a mile away. For a minute I just laid there and then I started laughing. <laughs> I laughed and laughed. Of course there was more money, a lot more. I had it rolled up really tight and wrapped my hair around it, pinned it into a bun. I wasn't even sure it would work, but he didn't find it. I don't even know how I came up with that idea, you know? But that was a pretty great idea if I say so myself. So I came out here and dug up the coffee can. I mean, you were here, you saw me. Every time I put money in, I tried not to think about how much was in there. I knew it would take a while, but that day I counted it, all of it, including the bachelor party money. And I knew, I knew for sure that it was enough. Enough to buy a bus ticket to New Jersey. And sitting right here in this garden, right in this spot, I could just picture it all. I saw myself riding the bus, getting off in New Jersey, and seeing all the beautiful flowers all around. They call it the Garden State, you know. That's because they have so many beautiful gardens there. And I imagined myself walking into a diner like the one I work at and sitting in a booth all by myself, having a big meal with my coffee cup being filled up about a dozen times at least, and leaving the waitress such a huge tip that she'd say, oh, no, that's too much. And I'd say, nope, that's for you. And I felt so happy sitting here in the sun and thinking about it all because I knew it was all going to happen just like I planned. I felt like I was already on my way. But I knew I had to be careful. Wait a few days. Make some extra tips to give Roy. Maybe he'd go on a bender and he might not even notice I was gone. And then I'd have to figure out the bus schedules and what to take with me, stuff like that. So I put all the money back in the can, stuck it back in the ground, and tidied up the flower bed nice and neat. Roy wasn't home when I left for work that night. That was good, because I was afraid he'd see my face and know I was up to something. I tried to act normal at work, but Henny kept asking me if I'd ants in my pants. All through my shift, I kept thinking about the plans I was making. I made really good tips, too, because I couldn't stop smiling. When I got home that morning, the house was empty. Roy wasn't in the bed or drunk on the couch. And it wasn't like him to get up early. I started to get a prickly feeling at the back of my neck. I was standing there in the living room trying to figure out where he could be when I saw a truck pull into the driveway. It, it wasn't Roy's crappy old piece of shit either. It was a brand new shiny black pickup with big tires and silver rims. And who do you think got out of it holding a value-sized bottle of whiskey? Yeah, Roy. All of a sudden, I couldn't breathe. I felt my whole body go cold. I headed to the backyard, but it was like I was moving underwater. 
And you know what I found out here, don't you, Freddy? A big hole. A great big empty hole right in the middle of the flower bed. Ready to swallow me up. I heard Broy crashing around inside looking for me. He was screaming, You think you can hide shit from me, you bitch? You think you can hold out on me? I'll fucking kill you! And I know I should have been scared. But I wasn't. My face was really hot, and my whole body was filled with pins and needles. But I felt calm. I picked up the shovel and just waited for him to come outside. I hit him so hard my arms shook, but I didn't feel a thing. There was a kind of a buzzing going on in my head. He was lying on the ground making a kind of uh, sound. I watched the whiskey pour out onto the grass. And that's when I heard you calling out to me, Freddy. You were saying, let me help you. Let me help you. And I looked over and I could see your concrete eyes looking at me. And that's when I picked you up. I don't even know how I did it. I I couldn't pick you up right now if I tried. But somehow, I did it. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. And I lifted you up as high as I could. And I dropped you right on his head. Smash. I honestly don't remember what happened after that. When I woke up, I was on the couch, still in my uniform. The phone was ringing. I was late for my shift. I told Henny I was sick and that I had to take the night off. And I was, kind of. My head was pounding and my throat was dry. And then I remembered Roy out here in the garden. By the way, I want to thank you for finding his keys for me. I didn't even think about it. I probably would have buried him with him still in his pocket. Can you imagine? I'm not used to driving such a big truck, but I think I got the hang of it now. And I've saved up enough money, even with buying a new uniform and everything. So I I think I'm ready to go. I'm going to drive that big shiny truck all the way to New Jersey, the Garden State. You'd probably love it, but I think you better stay here and keep an eye on things just in case the police come around again. But I'll be thinking of you every time I walk through a garden. I bet there are so many beautiful gardens. It'll be like paradise. Goodbye, Freddy the Frog. Thank you. And don't worry about me. Everything is all right. Song 2, Ray Isn't Drinking, written and performed by Eric Bleach. 
cleaners in the bathroom Smearing shit around the stall Then Neil's long gone He's shuffled down the hall And who knows when We'll be seeing him again But he bought a pine for Carl He bought a pine for Ray But Ray isn't drinking so he gave his pint away I watch over my regulars They call me their friend When the night is over It's easy to pretend It's not worth getting sober If all this has to Months I'm noticing down on the open stage A new kid making ripples while she's lost inside a page I think that she's got something It's obvious to me The hosts they brag and banter but they're clearly full of shit as they seek love and affection with their tired and worn outfits The booker, he ignores her Somehow he cannot see The stranger sitting next to him Someday is gonna be Telling all our stories David Healy, read by Ian McGarrett.
Some days you just can't win. Seriously, I come in for a beer so I can sit and, you know, just, just to figure things out, let things settle. And what happens? As soon as I get my keister in the seat, some guy decides to sing. Christ almighty. I mean, I know it's not his fault, right? He wants to sing, and these days they don't let you sing just anywhere. I mean, they seriously, they won't let you sing in most places. You can't sing in a grocery store or a hospital or library. They stopped you. Believe me, I know. I was singing to myself one day, and the top library person comes over and just stands there next to me. Not saying nothing, just standing. Finally, I look up, right? And she says to me, she says, there's no singing in the library. And the thing was, I wasn't really even singing. I was humming. And I didn't even know it. It just came out. I was sitting there kind of happy-like, and it slipped out. I didn't plan to hum. Who the fuck plans to hum? No one. You don't see people making a list that includes humming. Oh, what do I need to do today? Let's see, uh, go to the bank, buy groceries, and, oh yeah, hum. <laughs> so no one plans to hum, you just do, it slips out. But that doesn't matter. No, according to the top library person, humming and singing are the same, and neither are allowed. So when you think about it, when you really think about it, there's not many places you are allowed to sing. Bars, that's about it. And on the street, but you have to be asking for money. You can't just sing for fun. You do that and people stare at you until you stop. So I get it. I get why he's singing in this bar. I just wish he wasn't. And then there's that guy at the next table telling stories about his dog. You should hear him going on and on about his best friend. Apparently, his dog has vascular issues. Who talks about their dog like that? Vascular issues. Jesus, that's something your uncle gets. You know, like, uh, where's old Uncle Teddy? Oh, he can't come by today. Oh, why not? Vascular issues. Oh, yeah, I hear they're going around. Then it makes sense. Then vascular issues make sense. But a dog? Come on, that's not a dog thing. Besides, that's not even a story. There's no ending. You're in limbo. I mean, what happens to the dog? Nothing. He's got vascular issues, which as far as I can tell from this misery of a story, only impedes his ability to run for long periods. That's it. So the upshot is that this dog has to have short runs. That was his story. Oh, woe is me. My best friend can only have a short run. That's nothing. Nothing. If you want a story about a best friend, I'll give you a story about a best friend. My friend, Neil. That's a story. That's why I'm here. Neil. Christ, I mean, you think you know someone, right? Your friends forever? Then one day. <clears throat> Friendship is about being there when you need help. That's a friend. Being there no matter what. Like in the movies with Spock and Kirk, or Holmes and Watson, or in Lord of the Rings with, uh, Peregrine... Peregrine... Yeah, Peregrine. Uh, Peregrine Took and his friend, uh, oh, what the hell was his name? You know, that other short guy with hairy feet. 
Jesus, I can't think of it. My point is that they were always there for each other. I read this article in a sports magazine about Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling. They fought each other, I don't know when, but later they became friends. They helped each other out. Even though they beat the crap out of each other for money lots of times, they still became friends. Max even paid for Joe's funeral. That's friendship. That's what friends do. They help each other. But Neil... Okay. You see, it started at a bar. Not this, another. I was watching this guy named Big Ray. Now, Ray is playing pool, so I'm standing and watching, just kind of enjoying myself. And he misses a shot, and he comes over, and he says to me, Stop singing! And the thing is, I don't even know I'm doing it, right? But I know my tendencies, so I say, I'm not singing, I'm humming. Then he says, It's the same thing! I'm not sure exactly what Big Ray does for a living, but at this point I suspect he might work for the library, though in what capacity does elude me. Anyway, he says my singing made him miss a hundred dollar shot, and he wants me to reimburse him. So I say this, he says that, I say this, and before I know what happened, I'm playing him pool, double or nothing. Now. I've seen Big Ray play before, and he's good. Don't get me wrong, he's good, but he drinks. I've seen him. He drinks hard. And the more he drinks, the worse he plays. So, I figure, I'll play him, take my time, and let the alcohol do its thing. I figure maybe I'll even buy him a few drinks to push things along. Eh, good plan. That is until I find out Ray's stopped drinking. He's on the goddamn wagon. So I'm screwed. He wins the draw and then sinks every ball. Every goddamn ball. I never get a single shot. Now I owe him 200 bucks. But I don't have 200 bucks. I mean, even if I had that kind of money, why in hell would I carry it around? That's just asking for trouble. At least in my books it is. So I say, I don't have it. So he says, have it here tomorrow or I'll shove your head so far up your own ass you'll need a broom to brush your teeth. Now, I don't know Ray well, but even I can see that his grasp of the physics of space seems to be somewhat tenuous. But I say nothing because I know that Ray is not only big enough to carry out this threat, but I know for a fact he's done it before. Then it hits me. I loaned Neil 200 bucks last year. After I got a check from my dad at Christmas, I gave Neil 200 bucks for his rent. So I figure, okay, I'll call Neil. He's my friend. He'll help me. I helped him. That's what friends do. So I call him and tell him. And he says, no dice. He needs the money. He's got something up and he's heading out of town. Some girl or something. So he says this, I say that, he says this. And before you know it, I tell him, I'm coming over for my money. So I get there, right? And I knock, but no answer. Nothing. So I think, fine, he's hiding. But the thing is, I know his landlord. He lives upstairs. I used to wash windows for him when I had my own business. So I go upstairs and make some excuse about being worried about Neil and how I need to check on him. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. So he comes down and opens the door. But Neil's not there. His cat is. Larry. 
Larry the cat. Larry's there, but he's dead on the floor. And then I see this note, which I point out to the landlord, and he says, maybe it's a suicide note. And I just look at him. Cats don't have a thumb. They can't hold a pen. They can't write notes. If that cat committed suicide, then that information went with it to the grave. So the landlord's pissed, right? And he shuffles off, mumbling something about a box for the cat while I pick up the note. Now, it's not addressed to anyone, no salutation, nothing. All it says is, back in two weeks, kneel. That's it. So I'm screwed. No money, no friend, no nothing. So before the landlord comes back with his goddamn box for Larry, I leave. Don't get me wrong. I like Larry. I'm glad he got a box. But I can't figure anything out there. Not with some guy sticking Larry in a box. I can't concentrate. Besides, Neil's supposed to be my bosom... Uh, what is it? Uh, bosom friend? Uh, chum? Ah, uh, whatever. My point is that he's supposed to be my best friend. And he leaves, and I'm pissed. And it's not because I'm going to get beat to a pulp. It's because he left. He just walked out, leaving me this hole in my life that Ray wants to fill with his fists. So I go back here to the bar, wishing I was Spock or Kirk or that took guy with the hairy feet. You know, one of those guys in the movies with a real friend. But all I got is this hole. So I come here hoping for a little space and maybe think of a way to fill this goddamn hole. But all I get is that guy singing and some asshole talking about his dog's vascular problems. Jesus. Some days you just can't win. Song 3, Ballad of a Selfish Man Written and performed by Sean Clark a selfish man Oh, maybe yes I am I don't give a good goddamn what you think of me Sometimes I sing out loud I don't know what that's about Sure don't make me proud, but what you gonna do? They don't let you sing just anywhere. It seems folks these days just don't care. just can't win That old cliche again But I'm thinking about my friends and where they get off to 
I'm not a crying man I can't say I've ever been Guess I grew a thicker skin Than the average guy Besides, they don't let you cry Just anywhere It seems folks these days Just don't care Listen here My thoughts are crystal clear Get me another beer And I'll tell you a tale I'm not a talking man Hey, why'd you shake your head? Monologue 3, a voicemail message, written by Roxanne Norman, read by Cass Van Wyck. Hey, oh, <laughs> you didn't pick up. So I'm just going to leave you a message, I guess. Uh, I was thinking about reaching out to, um, connect with you briefly. Uh, like I saw on Facebook that you're moving to Parkdale and going back to school or something. I mean, it's, it's a pretty crazy year to be doing that, but good on ya. I have a couple friends who are considering getting out of the arts too. It's only gonna get harder, right? So why stick with something that won't make rent, let alone bank, right? <laughs> it's, um... A college this time, right? I-, I know the last time we talked, it was back on campus, that-, that Christmas alumni thing. I don't even know if you'd remember. I ended up ducking out, and Professor Jackson gave me a bunch of snacks on a paper plate to take home because I told him Jules was sick. It was a pretty stupid lie, but it worked because I guess nobody asked me anything else, and I could just leave, and Jules got cookies out of it. So, <laughs> um, I've been... Thinking about last year. Like, like, did you hear Sneaky D's is getting bought out? Condo developers again. Like we've ever needed more goddamn condos. And they're probably going to move or something, but it's not the same. I was missing the shitty nachos. Like, like wandering around after dark and getting bubble tea and then yelling about politics and then getting wasted and eating shitty nachos. And you always got so damn pushy. You got to make your point. Got to win. Like, like sparring. Look, I, I, I don't remember a lot about the Christmas party. I mean, I, I remember it was deliberately non-denominational and they missed it by a mile. Like, like Christian pseudo-secularity was the closest thing they could get to being inclusive or something. Tinsel and mistletoe. And that little fake tree in the corner, those little squat plastic glasses of Prosecco, maybe a few too many. 
I talked to Professor Jackson and I sort of threw this really cool book at him. Turns out I found some genuinely wild stuff about mask making in the Perry Civil War Southern states that I had never heard of, but will be totally relevant to his book. And we talked for a bit and, and you didn't. After that, I, So I just wanted to make sure it wasn't me, right? Like, like I wasn't the one who, who messed up because I, I don't remember a lot, okay? I was, I was feeling strange, acting weird. Like I was, like I was scared, <laughs> like a deep pit in my stomach and my skin, God, it was just, it was just buzzing, Cause, cause Jules and I, we had we had kind of gotten into this thing, and she, and she had gotten kind of frustrated at me. Like, like my memory isn't super great, and I always forget to take out the compost until it's covered in fruit flies. And I forgot she's trying to sleep, and I and I started singing loud, and she's had her third night shift, and she just she just needed to rest or or something. So I, I listen. I just threw on a dress, and I got on the streetcar, and I forgot my water bottle at home, and I wasn't at the top of my game or anything. Oh, God, you know, I, I, I don't usually talk like this. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm usually pretty confident and well-spoken. I got that, that $5 word on lock. Sesquipedalian loquaciousness. But I still can't do it around you. Like, like listen, there's this, there's this theory of behavior that there's this layer of bullshit around everyone's sense of self. Like, you as the ego behave the way you think other people expect you to in any situation. Like, how you behave differently around your parents and your friends, right? Like, I think you think I would do this, so I do it. But it's not conscious like that. It's just this whizzing around 3D chess game in your lizard brain trying to be what everyone else wants all the time just to keep you safe. Like, uh, if I'm perfect, no one can hurt me or... uh, you know, fight me, I guess. That's the only way you talk. Like you're trying to win a fight. And I didn't grow up like that. No yelling, no no dominance games. And I, listen, I'm not perfect. Okay, look, look, I've been, I've been sorting dancing around it, obviously, because I do remember Prosecco and mistletoe. You stink. You know that, right? Axe isn't a good look basically ever, but you reeked like you hadn't showered and you were just trying to cover up five yoga classes with body spray. I was trying not to cough the whole time when we were talking. I I didn't want you to feel bad. I wanted, like I was being rude or something. I, I, listen, I don't care what you think of me anymore, but I wanted you to think I was something nice, I guess. And you didn't kiss me like you wanted to kiss. You did it like you wanted to win, like you wanted me to lose. God, I fucking hate you sometimes. And I know you told people you were so smug, like you finally got away with something, like you beat me, like you won. Well, you know what? Too fucking bad. I'm moving too. 
out of the city. Jules gave me a ring and we're getting a house and I'm leaving tomorrow to go be happy somewhere. I never have to think about you ever again. So you can go back to the Starbucks without having to worry about seeing me. You can have Fiesta Farms, I don't want it, and Sneaky D's might be condo. So, there. I'm gonna go be someone better and happier and grander than you'll ever be. Goodbye. You know what? Don't, don't call me back. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank Barb Scheffler, David Healy, Roxanne Norman, Zuby Eros, Eric Bleach, and Sean Clark for creating pieces for this episode. And thank you to Vicki Jenkins, Ian McGarrett, and Cass Van Wick for their performances. For more information about our artists, visit our website at streamsandvariations.com. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review so we can be seen and subscribe to the podcast on our website or on your preferred platform. You can find us at Streams and Variations on Facebook, on Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at VariationsPod. You can drop us a comment or question by email at streamsandvariationspodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode is the second in our talkback series where we discuss this writing stream with writer Barb Scheffler. We look forward to you dropping in and giving us a listen. Bye for now.